1: Hello and welcome to the Following On podcast from TalkSport. I'm John Norman and alongside Jared Kimber, bringing you immediate reaction to the action every time England's cricketers play. And today's show proving we're here to give immediate reaction to the non-action as well. Rain winning all three sessions today, meaning West Indies still hold out hope of earning the draw that will leave them the series. So what are we going to talk about? Well, come inside and find out. You're listening to Following On. So you know by now that it rained a lot in Manchester and everywhere else. Then it stopped. Uh, There was some blue sky. Everybody got a little bit excited. The covers were nudged. The super soppers were out. Then it rained again. Uh, Then it stopped. Then the umpires said they'd have a pitch inspection at three. Then it rained again Um, and the umpires decided to stay indoors and have a nice cup of tea. And then we were all put out of our misery, meaning Jared and I could help the wives with the kids. And that's about it. Or is it? No, because it's time for a couple of rants from Jared. A few topics uh, that he would like to discuss with me and you, the listener, Uh, Jared and baby. Where do we start?
0: Jared and baby. I I thought it might be worth talking about what England are trying to create, because I don't think it's. I don't think it's talked about enough. We, we we talk about individual selections. So every time Stuart Broad is dropped, uh, you know, there's an outcry, or there's a, a bunch of people going, "Wow, you know, he's not the bowler he used to be," or whatever. There is. Everyone's got a side, and everyone's quite upset. But there is a reason that England are doing what they are doing, John. This is not an accident. They don't, It's not that they think Stuart Broad has suddenly become rubbish. It's because what they're trying to do is create a bowling attack that wins as many matches around the world as possible. And by that, they don't want a bowling attack. They want a platoon of bowlers available to them.
1: As you've often said, Jared, variety is the spice of life. And that's the same <laughs> with the bowling attack. I guess that's what you're trying to say. Is that is that correct?
0: Yeah. Instead of thinking, so most cricket teams in the world go, these are your best four bowlers or five bowlers, if, if you've got an all-rounder, and we're going to play them over and over and over and over again on loop uh, until one of them gets injured and, and then we'll go out. And then what started to happen was Australia did a lot of sports science on fast bowling and they started to say, there there must be a better way of doing this. Surely you don't need fast bowls all the time. Also, I think we we also, we we realized that out and out fast bowlers don't always work in England, for instance, uh, and swing bowlers don't always work in Australia. And, you know, different kinds of bowlers perform differently in, you know, in different conditions. So we started to bring that into our thinking. We started to look at resting, I think what England are trying to do, especially with their fast men, and I do mean the actual fast men. So that's Jofra, that's Wood, uh, that's I was going to say Ollie Rainer. Do I mean Ollie Rena? Ollie Stone. Ollie Stone. Yeah. yeah. Ollie Raina is an off-spinner from Middlesex, isn't he? Too many Ollies. There's a lot of Ollies in English cricket. If we ever discuss popular name, it's a, for, that's for the second half of the episode, anyway. Um, so, so essentially, I think they originally started with that idea, which is. If we, if we know we have three proper fast bowlers, we don't need to play Wood two tests in a row. We don't need to play um, Ollie Reina all the time. What we can do is rotate through the three or four of them if, if they're lucky enough to be able to do that. And I think now... You
1: just said, you just said Ollie Reina again.
0: God, why do I keep saying Ollie Reina?
1: Does Ollie Reina even still play? Was he playing for Middlesex? Are you at I the don't game? Know. Are you, aren't you at the Middlesex? Let me just game? check. I am, but no, he hasn't played in this game. Okay. I think he might have retired. I think he moved to a different team. And retired. And, hey, and- I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to surf the net and find out whilst you're uh, making this, <laughs> this point. So the point is that I think that
0: was their original thought. A bit like what baseball pitchers do is if you have a lot of guys who can bowl very fast, instead of taxing them by making them do a lot of work, if they can each do a little bit of work, they'll all remain at that pace and they'll end up being very good, good bowlers. And I think they've then taken that to another degree because cricket is a lot different than baseball in that, most baseball pitches are good no matter what the conditions are like. Whereas in cricket, the conditions dictate because of the pitch. So I yeah, think the, then, ball,
1: the ball doesn't bounce in baseball. Yeah, exactly. A yes. Massive Difference. So,
0: so there are little, there are little differences in baseball parks, but there are massive difference, you know, Guyana and the Wacker, it's almost two different sports, um, in, mm-hmm. in those two different pitches. Right. So I think then England started to go, well, we can rest Jimmy Anderson, perhaps from Asia, especially, you know, at times, especially pe- perhaps from smaller series in Asia, uh, Stuart Broad, we already know he can. He, he's actually quite a good road bowler. Do we have to use him as much at home? Should we use Wokes at home and get him used to playing well in England so he can take over from Anderson's position? All these sorts of things, I think, started to come into their mindset. And that's what they're trying to do, is they're sort of... They don't want to have a bowling attack. They want to have a bowling squad of about seven, eight people. And it's not just Seamus either. My guess is that Jack Leach and... Don Best might also do similar things. Don Best will come in when they want someone who can bat a little bit more, depending on what happens with Mo and Ali. Jack Leach will come in on a really on a pitch that really favours spin bowling or occasionally against lineups of right-handers um, uh, when, when everything's in his favour. That's what they're trying to do. Now, that's going to bang up against what everyone in cricket has always said, which is you always pick your best team. No matter what, in all situations, you pick your best 11 players. But that's really not what cricket... Has ever done that much anyway. I don't know if you know this, but I think the most times that um, the same 11 has ever played together is 11 times, and that's the West Indies. So no 11 players has ever represented their country more than 11 times um, altogether. So we actually change teams quite a lot, and I think England are looking towards that kind of style. And if you want, if you even look beyond the bowling, remember that England did this with wicket keepers. They literally picked a specialist Asian wicketkeeper in Ben Folkes to come in when Bairstow was injured, over uh, Butler, who has now ended up becoming the number one choice wicketkeeper. So I think England, who are very inspired by baseball, and have been for a very long time, and Moneyball, um, are really looking at this as a way of of doing things. So it'll be really interesting to see them going forward with this.
1: Uh, batsmen as well. I mean, we've seen Australia try it with batsmen uh, when they've toured Asia, haven't they? All, all-rounders? We've seen. Uh, some I used to love watching the squad announcements. Every time, you know, after the great team, you saw some some left field picks there. Peter George, didn't he bowl? Uh, he bowled for Australia. Um, uh, who's that? Trent Copeland. Oh, you're the not the even
0: only... you're not even main, mentioning the two main ones. Cameron White hey. as a leg spinner, Moses <laughs> Enriquez as a. Batsman. Hang on,
1: give me a chance. <laughs> I, you know. You you do understand the uh, how communication and speaking no. works. You have you have to say well you are unique, I suppose. You can't just say four names in one go. You have to say <laughs> them in something called order. Uh. Um, but yeah, Mo- Moises, Enriquez. I would have forgotten Cameron White in fairness. But yeah, so you know that's always good fun. I mean, otherwise we probably would never have seen Glenn Maxwell play for Australia, um, but also England. You know, Keaton Jennings. Mm-hmm. He was down to open the batting in Sri Lanka that was the that was what they were going to do um and also I mean they made a change didn't they a couple of years ago is it Mo Babat the performance director or performance coach um you know he is essentially taken um who is it Ollie Stone Craig Overton one other not Ollie Rayner, who did retire, by the way, um, yeah. a couple of months ago. But essentially, they've taken them away from the counties. They've said that they're not going to be playing it for England, but they're basically getting them up to speed so that when it comes to the Ashes at the end of next year or whatever tour, uh, they're going to be ready to, to play. The, the point you make about Don Bess and Jack Leach, I think the important thing from that is, and I was having this conversation yesterday here at the Oval with um, Mark Church, I think, I can't remember, anyway, it was with somebody, now, Don Bess, we've spoken a lot about him. He's, what, 22, 23? And we all know that uh, spinners really come to their peak a lot later than that, unless they're f- absolute freaks. Now, what is important to me, in the same way that, you know, Ben Folks, essentially... Actually, it was Lizzie Ammon, that's who I was speaking to. In the same way that um, Ben Folks could essentially, now that uh, Butler scored that 50... He could essentially sit back and be carrying drinks for the rest of the summer and play no Red Bull cricket. Okay, and then we come to India at the end of the year, if that tour happens, and he, or Sri Lanka, and he may be put back into the side having not played Red Bull cricket in 12 months. Mm. Now, with the spinners and someone like Don Best, I think that England, again, need to be really clever, and I'm sure they will be, I'm sure they're thinking about this, but Don Best, I would say next year against India, They've got to be really careful. So they've got five tests against India who know a little thing or two about bowling spin. Now, what do you do? Do you do you say to Don Bess, right, you're going to play two tests? Um and outside of that two tests, you're not going to be part of the squad. Essentially, you're going to go back to Somerset and you are going to play cricket. Because that guy needs to play cricket. So Jack Leach will come in for him, or possibly Moin Alley um but essentially they've got to manage the situation so he's playing cricket and so when he's required possibly in the ashes at the end of next year or further on in 5 years time um he's got enough cricket under his belt so it's a it's a, it's an all-round uh, approach i suppose it's obvious that you need to rotate bowlers fast bowlers but you also need to make sure they're playing cricket when they're not playing for england
0: yeah and that's the other tricky bit is So England have got themselves into a bit of a mindset recently that county cricket doesn't produce test cricketers, right? And and to be fair, that's kind of always been the case. Um, There are good skills that you can learn in county cricket, but if you are on the grind, you know, I remember talking to Australian players back in the day, they were like, it's very hard to get yourself up. So everyone's playing at like 85% rather than 100%. Uh, You forget the game so quickly because they play so much more than everyone else. So there are obvious drawbacks to that. But you look at Tom Bess. Don Beth has not played enough first-class cricket. He has not been the number one spinner for a team enough to understand what being a number one spinner is. He has not played in, in you, know, uh, you know, when I looked, I think I did something for the Cricketer magazine where it's not that he's got a bad record. It's that he has barely got a record. Uh, so you have to get him out there. So it doesn't matter if it's him, Craig Overton, Keaton Jennings, you need those guys to be consistently playing. Now, if it's not county cricket, then it needs to be the Lions, or it needs to be they need to be put into um, you know overseas leagues to learn new skills and all these sorts of things. But but that's the the tricky bit with all this is how cold can you come in? You only have to look at the NBA. So the NBA is one of the most, uh, and the football was was another similar one with the Premier League and uh, you know uh, the champions and all those sorts of things because the NBA in those leagues actually have to come back with their players ready to, to perform at the end of the season, right? So for the NBA, that's a final season. That's a huge thing to come back. And you're seeing that's what all the, the panic is. And yet in cricket, we're, we're pulling a lot of these guys out. As you said, Ben Folks is a really good example of it. We're pulling him out of cricket as much as possible and he'll be in the bubble. And Ben Folks, I think, has spent more time in an England squad not playing than any international cricketer I think I can ever think of. The only one that would come close would be Jeetan Patel. Sam Billings. Well, Sam Billings is a good one too. Jeetan Patel was incredible. I think Jeetan Patel was um, 12th man for more tests than Dan Vittori actually played uh, by the end. Jeetan Patel was on every tour and just never got a gig, which now we realise was a huge mistake because he was a, it turned out was an incredibly talented player. But it doesn't happen that much. And Ben folks I remember when Ben Foulkes was sort of I think he was like second choice keeper at Essex. He still spent most of his time with the England team back then. He wasn't even, you know, so he has spent so much time. What he doesn't do is spend enough time playing cricket. And uh, last couple of years, I think he started to, to bring that Mm. back up, but, but he's talked about that as well. He he went to Sri Lanka, didn't he? To train himself. uh,
1: Yeah. uh, Last year he did play a lot of cricket for Surrey um, because he wasn't being selected by England. So um, it's not just selected though. That's what I mean. So, in these no, I mean, cases he wasn't in the squad. Yeah. It was bare it was Bare Stone Butler, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, but but some of the times I'm talking about him, he wasn't in the squad. He was quite often training with England when he wasn't in any squad. I, I think there's a lot of great skill work that you can learn, but this is a fundamentally a game of decision making. So while you can upskill yourself and a lot of what England are trying to do is basically it's taking it back to what Australia did with the original academy and making it more modern and more sports science-y, right? But there is a certain point where you have to be able to put all those things into, into a game. So Joe Denley is a perfect example of, I think Joe Denley has most of the skills that he actually needs to to survive um, at Test cricket. What he probably didn't have was um, enough playing at the top level with those skills to be able to get them. Now, if you go back to county cricket or if you don't play at all, I think that's a bigger problem than going off with line tours and playing one Lions tour in South Africa and playing another Lions tour in New Zealand and the next one in Bangladesh. And wherever you go, you can continue to develop your game in a better way. I think England have to be quite mindful of that, of, you know, suddenly Jack, you know, I still think that Jack Leach could have come in for either of these two tests, probably the second test because of how many right handers the West Indies had. And they had Curran and Wokes available to them at that stage. But how cold would he have been? <laughs> how well would that have worked? And that's something that we have to start factoring in. So the platoon idea does work, but it's a completely different sport to baseball. Where when you're, when you're platooning a baseball pitcher, he might literally throw 20 pitches. That is not what you have to do if you're Jack Leach and you have to come into a test match. That's not what Ben Fokes is going to have to do. And we have to think about all of those different things and how we prepare people better. And I'm not saying England are not doing that. But that all comes together with these huge sort of squad packages that these teams are looking at.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary
0: plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, I remember 2009 World Cup, T20 World Cup, I was here at the Oval and England were playing West Indies. I can't remember the batsman, but James Foster was the wicketkeeper and he pulled off an outrageous stumping that no batsman wicketkeeper would have managed. Um, off Napier even... down the leg side? No, no, it was it was uh, West Indies. It was No, no, um... off Graham Napier down the
0: leg side. Didn't he do a great Oh,
1: sorry. Um, no. Possibly, yeah, possibly. Actually, maybe it wasn't. Yeah. I'm not
0: sure they used Napier as a bowler, did they? But it no, was...
1: I don't think they did. He but did an was...
0: incredible leg side stumping. I remember that during that tournament.
1: Yeah, and I remember watching that and thinking, wow, that's a, that is proof that a wicketkeeper is worth his place in the side because that wicket wouldn't have been taken. Um, you know, wicketkeepers, if they can't bat in T20 cricket, I mean, not that I was thinking this at the time, they can come in at 11 if they need to. Um and then, of course, he probably played two or three more games, and that was it. He, he never really featured for England again. Uh, you know, wicketkeeping is a topic of discussion again after uh, what we've seen from Shane Dowrich and also Jos Butler, and generally around the world. I mean, how many wicketkeeper first um, uh, internationals are there? Tim Payne, and was he was he even picked as because of he was such a great wicketkeeper by the end? Uh, by the point he came back in his, his great days as a wicket keeper seem to have been about well about ten years ago
0: yeah Ritman Saha is the one for me, and he probably is the best wicketkeeper keeper in the world at the moment, um, and I think there are certainly better wicketkeeper keeper batsmen available to India, but Saha is so good uh, that I, I think they go with him but yeah there aren 't many there aren 't many other first choice wicket i mean I always go back to Michael Bates, the Hampshire player. Who is one of the best wicket keepers I've ever seen. You
1: do you do mention Michael Bates a lot and have <laughs> done consistently. Not as much as you mentioned Benny Howes, but you know, he's up there. Um, just one point though. Rissad Pant has got the nods way more times than Fridderman Sahar in the last few years, hasn't he? So even India are going against Sahar.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean Sahar was I mean, I thought he was my last hope to sort of see a specialist wicketkeeper. keeper, not, not that he can't bat because he certainly has batting skills, but he he's not the batsman, the panties, obviously um but it's hard I mean, look, look at jos Butler I mean, there is a completely different timeline where well we. Besto was picked as a wicket-keeper ahead of him. Uh, Folks was picked as a wicket-keeper ahead of him. Craig Kieswetter was picked as a wicket-keeper <laughs> ahead of him. I mean, he's, what, fourth, fifth-choice wicket-keeper? Um, it, you know, an incredible situation to see him as, as the lead wicket-keeper in, in his country. And look at Australia sort of rotating through all their wicket-keepers. It's, it, it's quite tough. And, and the skill level... And it, it's different for you and I, because we are of an age... You can remember James Foster in 2009... When you talk to younger cricket fans and you bring this up, they think you're making it up. They don't understand how different wicketkeeping was in the 90s and the skills involved in wicket. I mean, when Ian Healy started, they used to say he wasn't a good wicketkeeper. He Mm. would be by far the best wicketkeeper in the world now, but by a considerable distance. And that's how much the skills of wicketkeeping has changed. And, you know, uh, we we talk a lot about Gilchrist, but Geoffrey Dujon and Alex Stewart were very early examples of, more athletic batsmen who could keep. And now that's what everyone is. And, you know, you see the, you see the thing that Crickvist put up where they say Butler had only dropped one, hadn't dropped any catches coming into the Southampton test. He'd only kept in seven matches and he'd been kept away from Asia as a wicketkeeper because they didn't think he could keep. That's where we are with modern wicketkeeping. Stand back and
1: dive. Adam Gilchrist, we talk about him all the time or people talk about him all the time. How good a wicketkeeper was he? Because nobody ever mentions it. When you consider who he was standing up behind the wicket to, um, you know, and the different bowlers he faced, how how good was, and the fact he was booed to the crease in his first test.
0: (laughs) He certainly wasn't as good as Saha, um, but he was, he would certainly be one of the best wicketkeepers in the world right now, uh, purely on glove work. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt there. He was, also, we talk about him a lot. He was also one of the first tall wicketkeepers. He's not massively tall, um, Gilly, but he's 6'2". Um, and so he, I think he actually showed the first time we sort of went for the more athletic people uh, rather than the short, stodgy people that wicketkeeping had been before. But he kept up the stumps to Shane Warne pretty well. But if you remember, Shane Warne spent his entire career bad-mouthing Gilchrist wicketkeeping. Looking back on it, that just seems like such a ridiculous thing. It wasn't even... I'm not even sure Warren was always the toughest person that he kept to. Do you remember Colin Miller, the Australian off-spinner, who was a medium pacer who bowled off-spin as well? He bowled really fast off-spin and zipped it around a little bit, and he had an incredible arm ball. I thought Gilchrist did a really good job to both of them, but... In you know, There were probably four wicketkeepers in Shield Cricket at that time who were better than Gilchrist. There are probably no wicketkeepers in Shield Cricket right at the moment that are better than Gilchrist. That's how much that's changed.
1: Well, as things go, I think listeners are following on podcast might be wishing that there were more rain delays uh, and washouts because this may be more interesting than what we normally talk about. Uh, one subject that did come up yesterday, um, I believe Brendan Nash was the last white West Indian cricketer international uh, Who played for Kent, of course. Bit of a ghost slow merchant, um, but Joshua de Silva, wicketkeeper, came on and fell over um, yesterday, day two, from Trinidad. But the question was, what was his ethnicity? Um, I had a quick look on Crick Info, couldn't work it out. I probably should have Wikipedia'd him. I didn't. It didn't bother me that much. Have you got any idea? Yeah, I think he's Portuguese um, um, uh, Trinidadian,
0: I suppose, is the, the right one. I don't know how far his uh, generations go back. I mean, Brendan Nash is an interesting one, especially as we are two fathers of mixed-race children ourselves. Brendan Nash is actually not a white man. He, he, he's he got mixed heritage. His father was a black Jamaican. It just happened to be that he came out quite fair-skinned. And when you're standing next to a lot of guys with really dark skin and you're quite light-skinned, I, I think there was. There was something obvious there. I don't know about the silvers' um, ethnic makeup as well, um, coming uh, coming from Trinidad. But it's I think it's startling to us because of how many dark coloured skin West Indians we we just sort of that's automatically. I don't know mm. about you. When I was young, I didn't even realise that so many of them were um, Indian origin. I didn't realise how many West Indians weren't black. I mean, I you know I, I suppose I grew up in the Curtly Richie Viv Richards sort of era. And, you know, it wasn't really until Chandrapal became a thing and I started thinking about his name and then occasionally you'd hear stuff about his, you know, remember that in the 90s, everyone talked about Asian wrists all the time. And you'd hear that about Chandrapal. Mind you, Brian Lara uh, had just the exact same kind of wrists, but he wasn't Asian, so they weren't mentioned as much. But I, it's a very interesting ethnic, ethnical mix in the West Indies, obviously, with right across the board. Um, you know, Sonny Ramindan, um, uh, the Kalacharans, there's a lot of um, Indian origin um, cricketers and then you go back, so I always thought, I, I don't know how much you have ever looked into this, but you know, you, you hear this a lot in cricket, that they, West Indies used to have white captains, and I always thought as a youngster, that meant that they had like Mike Brearley type captains do you know what I mean, like yeah, guys yeah. Who, were, who weren't yeah. very good, um, who happened to be white, but you go back and you have a look at some of these players, like, uh, the one off the top of my head is Jerry Alexander, Jerry Alexander was one of the best wicketkeeper batsmen in, in cricket history up and to the point that he, I mean, I think, I think I'm getting him right. He made it; might've made a double century might've been one of the first wicket keepers to make a double century as well. Um, they weren't duds. They're white players. It just happened to be that over time, obviously that, that you know, um, uh, they were sort of swooped uh, on and, and, you know, other cricketers, and they've had a lot of mixed mixed race cricketers who probably had darkest skin complexions. So we didn't notice them in a way that we noticed Brendan Nash quite a wide, um, a, a, quite a wide selection because it is, I mean, from Guyana through to, um, what's the most Northern island? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's Antigua? Yeah, possibly Antigua, yeah. Um, yeah, ethnically, historically, uh, the people who've gone there. I mean, I always, I'm, you know, you and I have been to Barbados a lot and I'm always shocked at how many white people live in Barbados and have Bayesian accents and consider themselves, you know, Yes. Yeah. Which, which of course they should. I'm not, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. Um, no, no,
1: it's just interesting. The uh, yeah. first time I went to Trinidad, I was really surprised or or, or interested. You know that I think the uh, ethnic makeup of Trinidad is is split almost as as close to fifty fifty. Well, apart from Joshua de Silva, it makes for a, quite an attractive melting pot, to be honest with you. But yeah, it's you know the links between cricket and colonialism. Where every time you visit any country, you can see the impact i suppose on dating back 100 200 300 years you know when we were in sri lanka you learn about the or i learned more about the tamils what their history is i.e they were essentially taken from india to work in the tea plantations or rather the women the tamil women were some some tamils
0: yeah and then other tamils are not from there as well which is even crazier
1: yeah, exactly. When there's movement of people, forced movement of people, funnily enough, there's problems 50 years, 100 years uh, down the line. But the same with the Caribbean, all the different islands with all mm-hmm. the different ethnic makeups. I found it very interesting when my wife, uh, who's a Kiwi, when she moved to the UK, she didn't really have much of a inbuilt knowledge of the Caribbean because it's not as important mm-hmm. in New Zealand because, of course... You know, the Windrush generation didn't get into a boat and go to New Zealand. They came to to England. Um, And the colonial links between our country and the Caribbean, those islands. But then if you go to France, then their links are to places like, I don't know, Martinique, Mm. I guess, or St. Lucia or places like that. So it's it's really fascinating.
0: All that sort of stuff. Yeah, I find really interesting. When I did the history of Test cricket. So my wife is Malay Sri Lankan which is a small group of Sri Lankans, but a few of them have gone on to play for um, the Sri Lankan national team. When you do the history of S- South Africa, there's been Malay South African cricketers. Now I've never heard anyone yeah. talk about this sort of stuff before. And it wouldn't surprise me if there are Malay West Indians who have played as well. So y- you do realise that, you know, this sort of, this empire, uh, you know, ha- ha- and the way that it works through cricket, but you're almost exactly the same as your wife. Outside of cricket and probably Bob Marley, I knew apps, sorry, and cool runnings, I knew absolutely nothing about West Indies as a country just because of where I was. And I I wouldn't have known about it realistically without cricket. So cricket's allowed me to understand all these sorts of things. And even like recently, uh, as you know, I've been looking into the history of the Cool Runnings movie, the true story behind it, finding out so much about the Jamaican, well, I should say the the West Indies um, armed forces and how that um, has brought West Indies together. Uh, it, it's, such a, it's such an interesting thing And isn't it great that we got to learn that While a man kept Wicket in a floppy hat Which he shouldn't
1: have been allowed to do And missed the stumping um, Brendan Nash as well Going back to him before we finish up I think his dad won an Olympic gold In uh, swimming
0: No, he went to the Olympics So he definitely didn't win a gold
1: Oh well, you know, nearly there
0: Yeah, he, hey, he's a Jamaican athlete Who went to the Olympics So
1: you probably expect him to win a gold yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, son of Paul Nash, the Jamaican Olympic swimmer who competed at uh, the 1968 Olympics. Hey, all right, listeners to the following on podcast, aren't you glad you stuck around to hear that?
0: <laughs> this is, somehow we've managed to do a proper rain delay podcast
1: <laughs> while I hold my daughter in my arms and you're at the Oval. It's crazy. Mate, we're going to play this out during a rain delay in uh, in in Mumbai or something. This is going to be part of our... India tour coverage right uh, well as we know no play um, on day four but hopefully there will be play. also say that the weather forecast isn't great for day five either but hey it'll only take about half an hour to uh, take the uh, last eight wickets um, <laughs> uh, Jared thank you matey I'll let you get back to your daughter and uh, look forward to meeting her in the flesh for uh, listeners to the following on podcast I can actually see Jared as I'm speaking uh, you might not be able to see us but we're uh, recording this over Zoom uh, please do join us uh, at the end of day five it won't be a following on podcast we Jared and Steve Harmison will be uh, together six till seven on Talk Sport 2 Cricket Collective looking back at the series unless of course <laughs> we're still playing in which case they will be commenting on the action and um, and then uh, referring back to the series whatever happens it will be bundled up and produced as a podcast though, so you'll be able to get it uh, wherever you got this on Acast, Spotify or Apple Podcasts but thanks for listening Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.